people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, it's my great pleasure to be speaking with Wendy Grimston. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Helen. How are you? Very good. Now, Wendy, we're going to have a conversation today because of something I saw you post on LinkedIn, and you were telling a little bit about how you came into the workforce. And what really struck me about it was it wasn't normal. Now, there probably are a few people who haven't done something normal, and I'm one of those people, but it was so refreshing to see what the response was, because for a lot of people, it's like, oh, I'm not alone. So maybe we could kick off by starting, where you tell us about, you know, what you posted, why you posted it, and your thoughts about that reaction, and let's go from there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. I just decided to acknowledge the fact that I had been in the workforce for 40 years, I decided that, um, and something I wouldn't normally do, but I just thought, you know what, I'm really proud of it. I think it would be helpful for people. And just to share and be proud of my journey, you know, Mm -hmm. as you said, it wasn't what you would necessarily call a normal journey, as in my path was slightly different to some of my peers and and other people that I know and and in the workforce. So yeah, that's where it all started. I um, shared about the fact that I started my ro- my first role at 15 and a half and I moved into a role in the New South Wales Public Service and I remember my mum and dad saying that's a great role for a girl from the country. Yeah. So that was where my career started. So maybe you can yeah. give us some context. You say from the country. So what was the country? I grew up in a small town of about three and a half thousand people in um, northern New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And yeah, left school in year 10, which is fourth form, 10th grade, depending on where you grew up and where you went to school. And yeah, I had a really bad upbringing. Um, that was my next path. And, and in my little town and in my family, getting a job was really important. And there was no opportunity to go to uni out of school just because mum and dad quite simply couldn't afford it. So yeah, I got this great job. And I, as I said in my post, I... Um, I left my hometown and moved three hours away and I was armed with my typing certificate with my speed of about 78 words per minute, I think it was, I said, but I had a 98% accuracy level and I was oh, brilliant. so proud of that. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I imagine there'd be some yeah. people who are maybe of a younger generation who are listening and kind of like, this sounds a bit weird, you know, 15 and a half yeah. leaving home. Typing certificate. Yeah. Why does people need a typing certificate? Yeah. So maybe you could just give a little bit more about the context of the world as it was for yeah. you at that time. Yes, getting a typing certificate was considered to be a really important piece of paper, mm-hmm. especially for a, a young lady starting out her career. And most roles at that time required you to use either a manual typewriter or an electric typewriter, which was very exciting because we got one of those about six months into my new job so right. um, that was that was like getting a new computer almost in those days yeah so yeah having a um, typing competency certificate as it was called was very important and I actually went to uh, typing school at night in my last year of school yeah. oh wow one of the things because I also did typing and I know I have younger nieces yeah. and nephews who look at me like 
Seriously, you spent a year and a half at high school doing typing. How difficult was it to learn to type? Because they had no typing lessons. And I pulled out one of my certificates a few years ago. And on the back, it reminded me, we didn't actually only just learn typing. We learned how to compose a business letter and compose a memo and many other administrative skills. And it probably would have been better to call it sort of like a a business administration certificate, not a typing certificate. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I would agree with that. And I think the other claim to fame with your typing certificate was we learnt to touch type. So yes. I still don't look at the keyboard when I type, um, which absolutely blows people away who haven't learnt to touch type. And so I still do the ASDF, I line my fingers up on the keyboard. Oh, well um, done. Yeah, it is, a, it is a really good skill. Yeah, no well, particularly, I don't know about for you, but I do find with us being a lot more online now where people might be chatting, I can type yeah. really quickly in response to things and people are like, hang on, slow down, I can't keep up. And it's like, I can touch minute, type. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly, what's taking yeah. your time? <laughs> yeah, so a, a good skill to have and, and um, yeah, built up over the years. So very different claim to fame, I guess, but it was also something to be very proud of at the time. Yeah, indeed. So before we come back and follow the line about other things that you did after that, do you want to comment on maybe the reaction of people when they saw your post? It was astounding. I had, you know, we get told not to count these things anymore, but I had over 300 people click a like or a love or a you wow. know, clap. And then I had something like 80 or 90 people take the time to respond, which I thought was just wonderful. But when I had a look at the data, there were around about 12,000 views of my post, which stunned me. I was amazed. Yeah. So I'd like to think that it held some interest for people and that Mm. um, it was a a, a good thing to do in in the end. Do you remember what some of the comments, were there people who were kind of like, you know, well, that's so different or well, that's so similar? There were some pretty much around both of those, but there was also a reaction of congratulations, what a wonderful journey you've been on. And I guess that said to me that the parts where I wasn't so sure were that interesting or that big a deal other people reacted to probably more than anything and then I had really lovely ex-colleagues and colleagues say that they were so happy to be part of my journey and um, that was really wonderful yeah yeah so it was very uplifting it was you know when I was a bit hesitant about whether to do it it was one of those moments when you know just doing it is what sometimes is the best thing because it was such a lovely reaction so maybe before we go to coming forward people listening to this might be wondering oh well you know maybe Wendy's just a person who does typing now you know 40 years later but you're in a very very different role so maybe you could give some context of what you're doing now and then how that juxtaposes to that journey I'm not a typist anymore but I type every day so that skill's always going to be there I am a senior change specialist and a communication specialist. So my day consists of helping people understand and progress through changes. I'm working on a quite a technology-driven project at the moment. So there's a mix of technology, but there's always that people component to change. And, you know, the written word is still a very key part of what I do. So being able to type has followed me wherever I've, I've gone throughout my career. And would it be fair to say that it would be generally classified as a professional job? I am. That's exactly right. And the expectations of my qualifications are very different to what they were when I started my career. So, you know, having 
tertiary qualifications and or 10 to 15 years experience is what's expected in the role that I perform now. So yeah, it's very different from where it was when I started out 40 years ago. So maybe we've created some intrigue in what happened after the typing job in the public service. <laughs> yeah, well, I did start with um, a TAFE course for public relations, marketing and research. And I did that at night while I was working. And that was great because that did give me a, a new qualification that, uh, you know, was well regarded when I started applying for other roles. So I left my first job and moved back closer to home. Um, my father was quite unwell at the time. so. It felt like a good thing to be closer to him and my family, um, but still in the public service in New South Wales and moved up to a, um, a lofty role of office manager, which was then my career for quite a number of years after that. So I moved to Sydney and worked in varied government departments in those office manager, senior admin so that's a bit different than that marketing training course that you said yeah. you did So what triggered your thoughts to get involved in that marketing and where did you think maybe that would go? Yeah, I'd always had an interest in public relations and one of my roles in uh, a sort of business development as well as office management sort of was going further down into that public relations and marketing type field. So it was then that I decided I should get something to back that up as well mm -hmm. as the experience that I'd had. And, and it did. It was, it was a good thing to do. And that was the reason that I did that was to just cement my skills and knowledge. And I did quite a few business, uh, I guess you'd call them data and statistical records and one pages for the organisation I worked for, just to share with the business community and for people looking to perhaps bring their business to where I was at the time in New South Wales. So that was where the research skills came into play as well. And then the marketing and PR was always around the words and how you entice people to your story and also what benefits there are for them, which has then taken me into the change. Mm. I think we probably we both have in common in that story is we were at a journey when, you know, you mentioned the manual typewriter going to the electric typewriter. And there was a point where maybe word processors came in and computers came in. And I don't know about you, but I remember working on spreadsheets and things. So we're not even talking yes. internet. We're not even talking email. We're no. just talking these no. devices in which people could now gather lots of data and start to yeah. collate it in certain ways. And I think that yeah. just changed people's expectations in workplaces that, you know, now we could actually have a report compiling data. Yeah, the days of DOS and um, yes. Multimate was one of the programs that yes. I used. And I also looked after a word processing centre for a little while and we I was part of the program of moving from the really big wang computer with the big floppy disk that a lot of people wouldn't even know about today to five and a quarter inch disk. I remember that. That was groundbreaking. Yeah. Oh, groundbreaking. And then how great to get to like that one and a quarter inch disk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. Definitely seen a lot of technology change um, over that period as well. It's a really good point, Helen. Yeah. And I think um, we're over the generation too. I don't know how it was for you, but I remember being part of that. And it wasn't like training courses were around. We just had to pick it up. And often if you were in yeah. an admin office role, you were the first person to be touching those. And often it was kind of thought, oh, you can type. That's what computers are about. You'll pick up all this other stuff. Was it similar to yeah. you? It absolutely was. And prior to that, like even invoices and expense claims were all done on paper and you had mm. to certify and... And now they're all done, you know, automatically via a, an accounting software. 
of some description. So you had to just, a lot of the time you had to pick it up or you'd do a half a day session or you'd sit next to someone and they'd train you on what mm-hmm. you had to uh, know. A lot of it was just picking it up as you went. Yeah. I remember back then how little there was in sort of manuals or even training courses. And yes. often it, because I was a bit younger of that generation, that cusp coming through, it was then looked at, you seem to be having a bit of familiarity with this and picking this up. Could you write some instructions for other people, which took yes. me on an interesting career path, but it's not just using it. It's like, how do you write down and explain this for others? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I was just thinking, as you were saying that, now we do quick reference guides and we do learning and we record it so people can listen at their own time. And, you know, just even doing the screen dumps of the actual picture yes. of the process, you know, it's come such a long way. But yes, you're right. It was just really writing down, you know, step one, step two. So yeah. there's always process, but the way that it was described was much yeah. simpler. And and different too, because I remember when screenshotting came, it's like, what a dream. I no longer had to explain to people something up on the left-hand side to the right that kind of looks like something. Now you just put a screenshot and point an arrow. Because, of course, back then people didn't really, you know, mouses were kind of new, but even just Mm. to kind of describe click on something like what what do you mean click (laughs) things that we take for granted now that were just such kind of big obstacles for people both for yourself to learn but if you were teaching and and supporting others I think one of the things that I find so interesting is things like just whether it's a click or a double click and people of different ages and generations you know my mum still double clicks on everything whether it needs it or not you know and I think that's something that is fantastic as to how far we've come and also quite amusing you know that sometimes people don't know that you just click if it's underlined, you know, and all those mm. things that we all take for granted. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and you talked about being in change. One of the things that you and I share, we've both been in that professional change space. And when we think of those transition moments, I remember with the staff that I worked with, and you were saying before, like those big machines, I was working with bookkeepers who had a desk that was flat and just had pen and paper. And suddenly yeah. this great big machine lands on their desk yeah. with a keyboard And they're supposed to know how to use it. Well, it actually became me, the young one, who was going to teach them how to do it. And they hadn't typed before. Typing was what the secretaries did. I'm putting air quotes in now. And so there was a big kind of identity shift, like, what do you mean I have to use this machine and my hands in it? And a big transition just in terms of supporting people and what my role was in that. Yes, absolutely. I think just... The transitions and the change that people have gone through is quite incredible. You know, I think we forget sometimes. And I think about my mum again as a really good example. I've certainly seen an enormous amount of change in my career. And I think about what she's done. And I remember her saying to me, they want me to use a computer. And she's a bookkeeper by trade. So she used to have the desk with all the the massive ledgers, you know, yes. the book. And she said, they want me to do it all on a computer and I'm not going to be able to do it. So I think I might have to leave my job. And she loved working. And it turns out she did learn it and she was really good at it. And she didn't leave her job. She actually didn't retire till she was 71. So, wow. yeah, amazing. Yeah. I just think about the change that she's seen and hmm. been through in her career too. And so how about you? Because you mentioned before about needing tertiary education. So there's a point where somewhere along... You got a tertiary education. When and how did that happen? 
I did. Um, I was incredibly lucky to work for an organisation. Now, I must say, this was not until 2009. So I was 47 years of age when I got my first proper, in, in air quotes again, yeah. um, tertiary qualification. And that was a graduate certificate in corporate management. So I was very lucky to work for an organisation who, who helped me to get that qualification. And I'll always be grateful for that. But yes, I was 47. So it was a fair way down the track that I got that qualification. So what did that help look like? There was financial help and study help. So it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. The study help, is that giving you time off to actually go yes. do the study? Yes, and to do exams and et cetera. Yeah, you very, very lucky. You strike me as a person that while that might have been later when you did that learning, you've always been learning. Like you said about being in high school and taking some classes at night and then being working in that job and taking some marketing. Is there a kind of mm. pattern or something about yourself that has a, a focus on learning in particular? I love learning and I love sharing learning with other people. So, you know, as well as communications and, and learning is a big part of, of change and successful change as well. So personally, I 100% subscribe to the theory of you learn a new thing every day because there's very few days where I don't learn something new. I found out um, recently about the um, the petrol bowser on your dashboard, that side that the petrol cat's on is <laughs> on their little signal. And, I, and that was that was mind-blowing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I do learn a new thing most days and I love learning and I love seeing other people learn. And I think, you know, in a change role, we're quite privileged that we get the chance to help people learn, but also to see the outcomes when they pick something up and, Indeed. you know, they feel comfortable and confident. Indeed. With all of the things that you've been doing over the years, are there some moments where you feel like it was a big change or learning moment? Yeah, there's been a few. One of them was when I did get my tertiary qualification, I feel like it just cemented a lot of things that I already knew, but it just brought it all together with the theory and the, the practicality, you know, and the practical application of it. So, yeah, that was a big moment for me. The other big moment was surviving redundancy, I think. You know, that was something that, you know, when we were growing up, you know, Dad always said you have to be loyal, you know, you get you get one chance, you have to do a good job, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's a strong work ethic that we all are proud to subscribe to in my family. And when my role was made redundant, I was horrified. I thought it was personal and, you know, all of those things. So the learning for me from that was that you can survive it and you do get over the other side and you do get a new job and you do move on. But at the time, it felt like, you know, it had been 25 years and I had been to work almost every day except for holidays, you know, wow. in that 25 years. So the learning was you can survive it. And, you know, redundancy is not that big a deal anymore. You know, people sort of get their way through it, find another role and off they go. Mm. Yeah. When you were starting out, did you kind of have a vision of where the future was? And where you want to do it? Because often, I, I hate this question, but some people go to interviews and say, like, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And I must say for myself, when I was leaving high school, I, I left high school and went straight to work. I was 17. Mm. And if somebody had asked me that, I would have been like, I don't have a clue. And I felt the pressure yeah. around it. But when I look yeah. back at my career, there's a kind of thread that I can see there, but it almost feels like I was not 
I actually love this quote by J.R. Tolkien, not all who wander are lost. And so I think there was wandering going on, but I don't feel like I was lost. I'm wondering what it was like for you. Yeah, interestingly, I I always wanted to be a hairdresser. So um, yeah, going into an admin role was a little bit my second choice. But I feel like I was always destined to do something that involved helping people understand what was happening or, you know, as I said, learning is a really big part of of what I love doing. So would I have been able to tell you that what my five-year plan looked like? Absolutely not. And to be honest, probably through a lot of my career, I couldn't tell you what my five-year plan would look like. As I get closer to retirement, I have a better picture of that. But I think most importantly, it was about, it was not never for me about what can I do that will elevate me, you know, and, and in fact, I struggled at times with where people felt I could be versus mm. where I was. So it was never about that. It was about doing a good job, being loyal <laughs> for most of my career. And then what could I do that would be interesting, but not feel like I had let anyone down was it was it probably a driving factor in those early years yeah so some of the things you were mentioning there seem to be strong principles or values coming through from your family about the notion of work yeah yeah there's no question we grew up in that strong work ethic which I'm really proud to say we did and it definitely set us up and same with my I'm a twin I've got a twin brother so he went off to get his trade which was a butcher at the time and I went off and um, joined the public service we went off with our very strong work ethic and, you know, a real desire to do well, which I think everybody does, but it certainly was something that was instilled in us as we were growing up. And when you look back over those 40-odd years, do you see maybe some shift in terms of what is the choice for you around some of those values, whether maybe there's a fine-tuning or a tweaking, and particularly when you, you mentioned yeah. before, like redundancy, often, I mean, I, that certain generation was like, you know, that's a terrible thing to have happen as well, but the world of work's changing around us, and so yeah. therefore where our attitudes sit and, you know, gel with that in such a way that we can actually, you know, maybe be taking care of ourselves or deal with the uncertainties. Yes. So what sorts yeah, of shifts um, or things have you noticed for yourself? I think my work ethic is still there, but it's not about loyalty to one employer. It's about loyalty to myself and also what I'm achieving for that employer at the, at the time and that it's okay to make a decision to move on and it's okay to be your role to be made redundant. You will be okay. you know. So I think that's probably the biggest shift for me and that the work ethic is definitely still there, but over the The past 12 months, not surprisingly, I've really dug into the wellness and taking care of yourself more and it's all right to not be okay at times, you know, and to let people know. And I think that's the beauty of having so many years in the workforce that I have actually seen that evolve, you know, whereas maybe 20 years ago, telling someone you weren't okay was probably a risk, whereas I don't believe it is so much anymore and I've been very well supported over the last 12 months as we've woven our way through this crazy journey. Mm. Is there something you'd look back and tell your 15-year-old self about maybe the world to come or how to face the world to come? Yes, I was thinking about that um, earlier actually. Um, And I think one of the key things, and I did put this in my little LinkedIn story, was back yourself. Mm. Yeah. So as a 15 and a half year old, it's very hard to confidently move forward and say, I've got this, I'll be fine. 
but I think that would be my first piece of advice is back yourself, this is gonna be okay. And I think something else for me particularly that I would tell myself or anyone in that boat is you are worthy of success. Sometimes success arrives and you're not sure that you should be taking a piece of it, but you are worthy of the success that comes your way. And I guess the third thing is I've really learned that it's your career and you need to own it. So you can get a lot of support and a lot of courses and a lot of learning, but it's up to you to drive your career where you want it to go. Mm, that's a very self-limited idea. And I'm curious as we wrap up, you've mentioned the word success. Has there been things where you had a view of success would look like X, but as you've gone along, you thought, hmm, actually success doesn't look like that or success feels or looks differently? Yes. And I think the difference in success for me has been that I have arrived at a place where I never imagined as a 15-year-old young woman that I would. I didn't think I'd ever be working for a large corporate in a senior role and being well paid for it. So that to me was the bit about you're worthy of the success. And also just success to me is about the fulfilment you get from doing what you do. Mm. It's not just about the financial rewards. It is about that to me, it's still about my pride in what I do and it's still about doing a great job and, and being acknowledged for doing a great job in, in ways other than financially too. Mm. I, I take great pride in being acknowledged by my peers and those types of things and I think that's as important to me mm. as the financial side of it, which is lovely, but it's how you feel at the end of the day, I think that's yeah. most important in terms of success. Coming back to our original thought about the journeys people take and what's normal, I think some people listening to this might think, oh, the reason I've not been able to be a success is because I didn't take the normal first steps. And I think sometimes people can get too caught up in that. If only I had X and Y, or if only I'd finished high school and gone to university, yeah. I would have been on a certain trajectory. And I know in my own story, I, like I said, I left high school at 17 and went into a job. I didn't go to university until I was 26. And there was kind of a, my mind is like, I'm behind. I'm eight years behind my peers. But yeah. now that I'm in my early 50s, I look and think, I'm not quite sure why I was so worried because there's a point where then I studied and you can have very different ways of kind of weaving that path and catching up. And so what I would yeah. encourage to anybody listening is to your point, it's about, you know, you are responsible for your own career. I would add to that. You're also responsible for whatever narrative you want to weave about how all these things come together. And sometimes yes. you'll have things that surprise you that you didn't plan for, but can actually be incredibly moving in terms of progressing you forward or shifting your mindset to a different place. So don't be locked into a view that things must follow in a certain way or that you need a certain base to start from. And sometimes okay. I say to people is, you get whatever cards you're dealt with and it's what you do with whatever cards you're dealt with, not wishing I had a better deck of cards because then agree. I'd get a better hand. I, I couldn't agree more. There are times when we all wish we had a better set of cards. There's no question. But I think, you know, and it's not a Pollyanna view. It's just a, you know, a, a learned and observed and, and lived view that, you'll get another set or you'll get a new card added and you can make the most of that. You know, it is about you setting your own path yeah. and your own journey, whatever that looks like and building from it or stepping back for a little while, if that's the best move for you, but it's about you 
and you're right, what, whatever cards you get, how you deal with them. And what struck me in particular was about your LinkedIn post and the story that you shared is you laid out the story that was for you. And there was a kind of way that hung together. It was a way of celebrating. This is where I started and this is where I got to. And, it, and it's kind of totality, which in itself is a reason to celebrate the variety and what's possible. So, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing that story. Thanks, Helen. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share it. And it's made me feel even more proud. So thank you. It's a lovely thing to feel. Oh, my pleasure. Because from a self-limited point of view, I really do want to encourage people with that idea of don't be stuck in thinking there's one thing. Here's an example of Wendy and, and hearing a little bit about my story of you can wander in different ways. And I think there would be people who would look at us who would maybe know us professionally and think they're an amazing success. And we might kind of be like, is that right? But when you stop and go, wow, look at the past look where I've come from, look at the steps I've taken through. So I would be giving you a virtual high five now, Wendy. Good on us. <laughs> Thanks, good on us. Yeah, and thank you. That's so good. It's a really good reminder. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com and follow us on Twitter at Be Self Unlimited.